Let's uh, pray and ask God to be with us and to help us as we come to hear him speak this morning. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you for bringing us together. We ask you to help us to hear you speak. Please open our eyes to our hidden faults. Please keep us from willful sins that we might live in praise to you. May the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our God, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, All right, to start off, I want you to picture some scenes with me, different scenes from different kind of occasions in life, and I want you to think about what do they have in common. Uh, First of all, picture this. A little boy lies in bed listening to his mother read his favourite bedtime story after she's tucked him in. Next scene. A group of friends sits around a campfire which warms them on a cool night. They're laughing as one of them recounts the adventures they've had over many years. Next scene. A worried family sits in a doctor's surgery as they wait for a dreaded diagnosis. Third, fourth. A teenage girl checks the comments on her latest Instagram post every five seconds to see what people will say. What do those scenes have in common? In every scene, there are people who hang on every word. Because words are powerful. Emily Dickinson wrote that even a single syllable carries weight. Could mortal lip divine the undeveloped freight of a delivered syllable? Twould crumble with the weight. takes a few times reading that over to understand what it says. She's saying our words are powerful. Our words are powerful, not just because of what they do to others, but also because of what they reveal about us. The eyes might be the windows to the soul, but it's when we open our mouths that people really see inside. And that's what this passage that we've just read from Matthew chapter 12 is about. It's about the power of words to impact others, but also to reveal to others what we are like. And so as we start this morning, I want you to just take a moment to reflect. Maybe close your eyes so you're not distracted by people around you. 
reflect on the way that you speak, the kind of words you use and how they impact others and how they reveal what you are like. As you do that, maybe think, how do I need to change the way I speak? I'll give you a, a moment. How do I need to change the way I speak? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about speaking. It actually begins with a God who speaks and who makes us to speak and who sends his son, who you might know is called the word, to speak to us for God and to God for us. And so as we turn to this passage in Matthew 12, it's all about speaking, but as we turn to this passage, we can trust that God wants to help us to change our words. So how might God change the way we speak? Ambitious this morning, we are going for four points. We're going to think about the, um, not the usual Anglican, Matt Steele 3. We are going for... We're going to start off by thinking about the source of words, where do they come from. We're going to uh, try to outline a vision for our words. Uh, what, what could they be? Uh, then think about the danger of our words. And then finally, think about how might God help us to change the way we speak. So uh, let's have a look. If you have a Bible there in front of you, it's a nice short passage, so kind of very easy to follow along with. I'll refer to a few other passages from the Bible as we go. Uh, most of those will be up on the screen, though. So if you've got your Bible open to Matthew chapter 12, uh, that will help you. Uh, what we've seen so far in this series, in Matthew, beginning at the beginning of Matthew chapter 12, is that Jesus has been caught up in a war of words. So uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've seen this growing conflict between Jesus and a group of Jewish religious leaders who were called the Pharisees. And so as Jesus speaks these words in Matthew 12, verses 33 to 37. He's first of all speaking to them. But he's also speaking to us. Now, he begins here by drawing a connection between who we are and what we say. And to make his point, he asks us to imagine a tree. He says in verse 33, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. Sort of almost sounds like a riddle, doesn't it? A tree produces fruit, and the kind of fruit it produces depends on the kind of tree. So a good tree will produce good fruit, a bad tree will produce bad, or the word means rotten fruit. You can diagnose the kind of tree by the kind of fruit it produces. And in the same way, Jesus is saying, we are known by the fruit that we produce, in particular, by the words that we speak. Now, just think about that. It's really important. We're known by the words that we speak. There's a lot of conversation 
uh, today about identity and what makes us who we are. What makes me, me? Is it my gender or is it my race or is it my religion or is it my sexuality or is it my position on certain political issues? All of those things are part of my identity. They help make me, me. But Jesus reminds us of this thing that is really basic and essential that people will know our character by the words we speak. And so in verse 35, you, you see this idea coming out throughout this, even just these short verses in a number of different ways. In verse 35, he introduces a different metaphor to make basically the same point. See that? Verse 35, the good person brings good things out of a good treasure and the evil person brings evil things out of an evil treasure. All that repetition there and the big contrast to make this point. Um, the word treasure there can either refer to the place where we store valuable things like a treasury or it can refer to the treasure itself. And Jesus is saying the good person will speak good words because what they treasure is good. There's good in the treasury. The evil person will speak evil words because what they treasure is evil. There's, there's evil, there's, there's something wrong in the treasury. His point here is that our words reveal what is deep inside us. And so let's use a, a slightly more modern metaphor. It's a little bit like when you're driving home after, uh, maybe from the pub um, or, or maybe driving home after, you know, celebrating the Lord's Supper even. Uh, this happened to us after 6 p.m. the other night. And you're driving home and you see those flashing lights of the police pulled up on the side of the road and um, they're all there in a line and they're waving their wands and, and they pull you over and uh, they ask you to blow into the breathalyzer. Your breath reveals what's inside. Sort of a deeper truth, whether you're too drunk to drive. It's like that with our words. Or perhaps it's verse 34 which captures this idea most succinctly. Jesus says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And the word abundance there means fullness or the overflow. You could translate this as out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Or as one translation puts it, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So it's the same point. We've just kind of made it in three different ways. You get it? Jesus is saying, he's talking about your heart here, your inner being, where your deepest desires and fears and values reside. And he's saying that whatever your heart is full of, whatever you care about most deeply, that will overflow in your words. And so as a result, your words will reveal what is most important to you. You are what you speak. Now, of course, it's possible to put on a performance and to try to pretend that you're somewhere, someone you're not and to wear a mask. And actually, that's what the Pharisees have been doing. They cloak themselves in this religious respectability. And you might be able to fool some of the people some of the time. But sooner or later, the truth seeps out in our words. Whatever fills our hearts overflows. We are what we speak. And so that brings us to our second point. Well, I didn't even need an extra slide. There's so few slides today, it's totally minimalist, and there's not even one picture. It's disgraceful. But anyway, um, here we go, a, a vision for words. Notice 
now, we've established where our words come from, notice that in verse 33, Jesus actually starts by acknowledging this potential for our words to be good. See, what's the first thing he says? Make the tree good, and its fruit good. And so he starts by asking us to imagine this possibility, to envision this positive potential, this harvest of good fruit. That's the image, isn't it? Or if we look down a bit further, of good treasure, of good words. He wants us to imagine that we speak good. Yeah, that was a joke. Thanks. That we speak good. Yeah. So is, it, is that possible? I mean, you and I know the things that we say when we're stressed or when we're angry or when we think no one can hear us. Can we speak good? Well, Jesus seems to think so. He has this hope for us. He wouldn't say, make the tree good and its fruit good if this was impossible. No, we're made to speak good because God made us to speak like him, to speak good things out of a good treasure, to speak words that show that we care about the things that he cares about so that when we speak out of the overflow of our heart, it actually reveals his heart. Here's a thought, the vision is that our words might actually reveal his heart. For God's heart to overflow in the words we speak. Now that's a vision. So what is God's heart like? What words does he speak? Well, the very first thing he says in Genesis 1 verse 3 is what? This is a test. Let there be an answer. Let there be light. Yep, let there be light. Thanks, Jim. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated light from the darkness. This is what God speaks. God's words give light, and they call order out of chaos, and they call good things good. How else does God speak? Well, when he makes people, we read just a little bit further down in that chapter, Genesis 1 verse 28, we read this, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So God's words also bless, they empower, they give life, they provide clarity, they give responsibility, they invite people into his space. He's a God who speaks and this is just the first chapter of the Bible. As we read through, he keeps on speaking and if we had many, many hours, we could just trace everything he says all the way through, wouldn't that be great? But if we did that, we'd hear, we'd hear him call evil, evil, as well as calling good, good. We'd hear him righting wrongs. We'd hear him make promises. We'd hear him forgive sins. We'd hear him reconcile sinners, and we'd hear him confess his love for us over and over again. We hear that in Hosea, the prophet Hosea. Uh, at this point, uh, God is speaking to the Israelites who have consistently rejected him generation after generation. 
And what do we hear God say? He says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. The more I called them, the more they went from me. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and offering incense to idols. Yet it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up in my arms. I was to them like those who lift infants to their cheeks. I bent down to them and fed them. It's this beautiful image of a father stooping down to embrace and to kiss and to reconcile with his rebellious child. And so God's words reveal God's heart. That his heart is for sinners. God's words reveal that he loves us. And so his words not only create this universe, but they create relationships. Which is why, as we read through the Bible, we not only hear God speaking, we actually hear a conversation. The Bible is the history of God and his people in conversation with each other. And it's an invitation for us to join that conversation and to know his love. So this is the vision, right? What would our words be like if we spoke words like God? If our words gave light and life, if our words called good good and evil evil, if they provided clarity, if they blessed and empowered and invited, and if they revealed a love that's deep not just for friends but for enemies, what kind of words would we speak? And how might those words be different from some of the words that we speak now? That brings us to our third point. We've got to think about the danger of words. Because having raised this possibility of bearing good fruit, Jesus also recognizes the danger of the words that we speak. You've got to remember the context here particularly and how the Pharisees have been speaking. Well, in verse 34, he addresses them directly. Listen to what he says. Listen to his words. You brood of vipers. How can you speak good things when you're evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know that saying, uh, if you can't say something nice about someone, don't say anything at all? That clearly doesn't apply here. Speaking good doesn't always mean saying nice things. Sometimes speaking good means calling out evil. And that's what Jesus does here. The Pharisees, if you remember, they're deceptive and they're controlling. They've, been, they've placed this burden on the Jewish people with their legalistic teaching and they've slandered Jesus and they were conspiring to destroy him we saw in the first week of this series and so Jesus uses these two metaphors to describe them firstly he says that their words are bad fruit you know, it, it has that sense of bad has that sense of being rotten I said before they, they've taken this gift from God this ability to speak good 
but they've turned it into something rotten, something sour and sickening. Second, he uses another metaphor. He calls them a brood of vipers, like babies of, of a viper, a seething, writhing mass of snakes. Like the father of lies, their words damage and deceive. Uh, in Jesus' context, vipers were one of the most dangerous creatures in the ancient Middle East. They tended to be small and venomous and well camouflaged. And this actually seems like a particularly apt image for the Pharisees. They're deceptive and dangerous. They hide their venomous words beneath this veneer of respectability. But they speak out of the overflow of hearts which are not full of love for God or other people. We see this time and time again, don't we? We've seen it already in this series that they're more concerned with protecting their power base and maintaining their reputations. Their words reveal their hearts. Their words show that their hearts are not like God's heart. And so Jesus says God will hold them accountable for the words they speak. That's what he says in verses 36 and 37 there. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, you'll have to give an account for every careless word you utter. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you'll be condemned. Every careless word. God will hold them to account because God's heart is for justice. And so either, Jesus says, either they'll hear him justify them, which means that God will declare them to be in the right, or they will hear him condemn them. And on what basis will they be judged, Jesus says? By their words. See, here's the danger of words. Not only can our words damage other people, but God will hold us accountable for them. And so maybe at this point we start to squirm because maybe Jesus' words aren't just meant for the Pharisees. You might remember that passage that we read earlier from Isaiah chapter 6. Do you remember what Isaiah says when he comes into the presence of God? Woe is me. I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. What does that mean for our careless words? What does that mean when our words reveal that our hearts aren't like God's heart? What does it mean for the criticisms that I share about other people behind their backs? What does it mean for my deceptions when I kind of mislead people to avoid getting into trouble? What does it mean for the words I don't say which needed to be said? What does it mean for the times when my arrogant words keep others from speaking? The God who said, let there be light, won't let my careless words hide in the darkness. Jesus says these words to me. You will have to give an account for every careless 
word. Every syllable has weight. And I reckon this is just so relevant for us. We are very susceptible to careless words. Especially in this modern age where so much of our speaking is done electronically with people who we can't see and even people who we don't know in social media posts that are sent so easily with a tap or a click around the globe. You know, we live in a world where weighty debates are carried out with memes and hashtags. A world of careless words. It's very easy to use careless words on the internet. It's very easy to utter careless words when we're angry or tired. It's easy when a colleague has gone behind our back. It's easy when a family member presses those buttons which family members always know how to press. It's easy to utter careless words that reveal that my heart isn't like God's heart. And so that's the danger of words. That brings us to our final point. How then? How then can we change them? Remember, Jesus gave us that great vision, this great hope. Jesus said, make the tree good and its fruit will be good. You know what he's saying? He's saying, change the heart and the words will follow. One of the ways, at least, that God changes our words is by changing our hearts. So how does God change our hearts? I reckon there are two things, two kind of steps for us to kind of work on here if we're trying to Ask God to change our hearts. First, start by asking him to help you see the treasures in your heart, especially when you notice that you have said words that were careless or rotten. Ask, what do those words reveal about my heart? What am I treasuring so much that I would speak words like this? What is so important to me in this particular situation that I would overflow with those kinds of words? Ask God to show you the treasure in your heart. And then ask God to speak good words, to fill your heart with new cares, so that your heart becomes more like his heart and your words more like his words. Do you reckon he'll do that? He will. Because the God who will hold you to account for every careless word is also the God who loves you. And so when you ask him to speak good words, he will remind you that he has set aside another day of judgment. A day when someone else was held accountable for the words that you speak. Did you know that's what happened on the cross? On the cross, Jesus was held accountable for our careless words so that we could be justified by the words he speaks. See, Jesus speaks on the cross and he shows us what he cares about. On the cross, we hear him say, Father, forgive them. See, here's the kind of words 
that can fill your heart. Right now, our hearts are filled with all these things that we care about. We care about maybe what people think about us or we care about being in control or we care about being important. And too often, those cares overflow in careless words. If we care about what people think about us, then we'll be you know, so concerned to protect our image and we'll struggle to tell the truth. If we care about being in control, then when life is stressful and things are falling apart, then we're more likely to speak harshly to people who get in our way. If we care about being important, then we'll speak badly about other people to feel better about ourselves. But when we hear God speak, His care for us fills our hearts. And we start to care more about the things He cares about less about what other people think of us and more about what he thinks of us. Less about being in control, more about trusting God. Less about being important and more about how blessed we are to have a God who cares for us even when we speak careless words. This is how God's care changes our careless words. Make the tree good and the fruit will follow. So how can we do this just to finish up? Take every opportunity to hear God speak, not just to fill your heads with knowledge, but to fill your heart with his love. Because then you will grow in love for God and the people he's made and that will change the way you speak. The great and also challenging thing about this is there's not just one way to do it and different things work better and worse for different people and so we each need to find ways that help God's word kind of seep into our hearts and be real for us. What works for you might not work for me. And so in addition to kind of reading the Bible and coming to church, here's two things that work for me. Maybe you should tell me what works for you. But anyway, start this way. Uh, the, uh, the first thing that works for me is I find, so I'm just, I'm just trying to be practical here and give you some suggestions. One thing I find that works for me is listening to Christian music. You've got to find Christian music that works for you. Uh, but the other day, a, f- a friend of mine whose wife is suffering severe anxiety at the moment just, just shared uh, on, on Facebook uh, that they've discovered this new song called Peace. And through that song, God is speaking to their anxious hearts. And so I started listening to the album. And on that album, I found songs that spoke to me. So there's this fresh take on an old classic. I'm going to read you the words. I don't know if this is cheesy. I don't know it well enough to sing it to you yet. So you don't have to worry. Uh, it goes like, it, part of it goes like this. It was just three words, but it changed my life just a childlike truth that consumed my mind. From my life's first breath till the day I rise, all I need to know is this age-old line, Jesus loves me, this I know. Jesus loves me, this I know. I won't forget that the Bible says that he loves me so. It was just three nails that held him on that cross, but God was not restrained for he was there by choice. As he gave his life for a world he loved, so the earth replied in this age-old song, Jesus loves me, this I know. 
Jesus loves me, this I know. I won't forget the Bible says that he loves me so. When I listen to songs like that, that's how God's love gets into my heart. The second thing that works for me, and I meant to bring one up with me, is those old Anglican prayer books. You'll see them floating around here sometimes. There's probably a bunch in the back cupboard. Feel free to borrow one on an extended loan. They've got these short services in the front of them, which I've only really just rediscovered, uh, called Morning and Evening Prayer. Basically, there's Bible readings and beautiful prayers for every morning and every evening of the week. And so whenever I get the chance now, I'm just trying to remember to open it up. It might be a Tuesday morning. It might be a Thursday night. I just open to the right service. And those words help me to hear God speak and they help me to speak back to him to continue this conversation that he invites us into. Uh, In a moment, we're going to sing together. Uh, We're going to sing a song that asks God to transform our lives and our words. And so as the band comes up, I'm going to finish by praying for us one of the prayers from the, one of the morning services, in fact, from all of them. Let's pray. Eternal God and Father, by whose power we are created and by whose love we are redeemed, guide and strengthen us by your Spirit that we may give ourselves to your service and live this day in love to one another and to you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please stand. We'll sing.